You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hey, before we get into the uh, sermon this morning, uh, I've kind of been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Again, uh, this was something that uh, I kind of came across when uh, I was going through uh, some difficulties of this uh, last summer. Um, And there were three words that I kind of just, you know, kind of kept focused on uh, as I went through uh, this difficulty, and that was God's got this. No matter what was going on, no matter the twists and the turns and everything that happened, I just kind of tried to just really keep focused on the idea that uh, even though I had blown it, uh, even though I had done some things I shouldn't have done, God still had my back. He never left me. He never failed me. Um, And so it was just something that really became very, very meaningful for me. And uh, I found uh, some bracelets um, that had those words on it. And I started wearing it just again as a reminder uh, that no matter what I was going through, I would see that and be reminded that God's got this. Um, And so it was something that um, I bought some and and shared them with the congregation. Um, And uh, so there's a bunch out out there um, right now. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I kind of encouraged you. I, I usually try to wear at least three. One of them is for me, and two of them are for other people that God would maybe put in my path that are going through a difficult time, that as I'm uh, kind of talking with them, not only can I share you know, God's faithfulness to me in what I went through, but just encourage them that no matter what you're going through, God's got this, um, and he's going to be with you. And so oftentimes, what I'll do is um, just take one of these off, give it to them, and then pray uh, with them. And so uh, I happen, not you know by chance, God kind of arranged this, but a couple of weeks ago, I was standing back there by the basket, and, and Wendy came up, and uh, she wanted to know if it was all right to take 20 of these. And I said, absolutely. And so she did, um, and uh, she told me what she was going to do with them, and I said, that is so cool. And so I asked Wendy uh, this morning, I said, would you just kind of come up and share with with them, uh, what you did, what you're doing uh, with those. So this is this is my friend Wendy. Uh, she is a chaplain up at the hospital. Uh, she's a great chaplain, awesome chaplain. If you end up in the hospital, call this one. Uh, she is a prayer warrior. Good morning, everyone. So when I heard Pastor Jeff spoke about the bands, I thought, what a great idea to share with my patients that I meet with. And so what I've been doing is giving it to the patients. But what I realized is that sometimes as chaplains, we concentrate on the patients, but their family and loved ones also go through a hard time. So I have been giving it to family members and loved ones. And I'm telling you, it has made a great difference. I see all kinds of patients, from old to young, those who can speak, who cannot speak. And so one guy, he said to me, he said, I can't put it on my wrist but can you just leave it on the tray so that I can look at it every time I feel like I can't go on anymore. I felt so loved. I felt, oh my God. He said, if I can only see it, that will bring hope for me. Ah. And so I've left it on the trays of those patients who can't have it on their wrist, and it has been a blessing. Um, I went to the gift shop and I noticed this young lady came in and she was looking at my arms. I'm not Pastor Jeff, I have like six on my hand, but 
So she <laughs> So she said, I said, would you like one? And she said, yes. And in my spirit, I felt she needed another one. So I said, would you like another one? She said, can I? I need one for my friend who was in an accident, if I can give it to her. And then I said, okay. And she said, um, will it be okay just to ask for one more? <laughs> So this is what I have left out of my 20, how much I took. And today I go there again at the hospital, and these are going to be gone, and so I'll take some more. But I encourage you. It's a great way to strike a conversation. You know, someone asked me, who is God? Who God God is? And I was able to share with him who is God and, who, and what God is in our lives and what he can do. One guy who was an atheist, he said, I don't believe in God. And after sharing with him the band, he said, Will you pray with me before you leave? I am telling you, God is, Pastor Jeff had a vision. God did something with these bands. I encourage you to do it and to share with others. God bless. Thank you. Isn't that powerful? Sometimes you just have to wear the band and people will come to you. They'll see that. And I've, I've had the same thing happen. People be kind of looking at that. Um, and and, I, and I, maybe I should start wearing six too. Or maybe I should like start wearing more than you just so that, no. Um, but it is amazing because people will come. Uh, Jim, will you take this back for me? I, I completely forgot. Thank you, thank you. Um, so anyway, it's just so incredible how people will, will see it um, and it will, they'll kind of, you know, you can tell they're looking at it and it's just, again, it's just an opportunity to engage um, in a conversation. And, and just like for Wendy, you know, how God's just opening doors for her to be able to share that. So man, take a bunch more with you. That's, that is so exciting. Because I, I just think, you know, we're gonna kind of start seeing people around town we don't even know with these on. And wouldn't it be cool just to kind of go up and be able to say, you know, I got, I got, I got one of these on too you know where did you get yours and what is your story um and so i just encourage you there's a we've got a bunch out there um if you can um i was able to get these the original one i got only had the god's got this on one side uh the ones i've got now i've got it on both sides uh the original ones were like a dollar a piece i was able to get these the ones that i've got now for 50 cents a piece um so that's just cost and and all we're trying to do is i'm just trying to recover the cost. And we're not making anything on these. Uh, we're just trying to recover the cost so we can keep ordering these so that we'll always uh, have these um, available. So I just encourage you as you go out um, this morning, you know, if you, can, if you can help us out with the cost, that's great. If not, that's, we're, we're good with that too. God will make it up. But just grab some of these, put them on, and just begin to pray that God would open doors for you to kind of be able to share um, with people. So again, I'm just really, really uh, encouraged. If you want to sew into Wendy's ministry there at the hospital, you know, help her buy some of these um, as well. Because that's just, I mean, what a great place to be able to do that. And I didn't even think about, you know, I'm thinking patience and I didn't even think about family members. Man, what a great opportunity. I can see how you can go through a ton of these in a very, very short period of time. So that's, that's just awesome. Hey, again, uh, tomorrow night, um, we're going to uh, be here with the Nehemiah study, chapter 11. Um, again, it's one of those chapters that's got a lot of names in it, um, 
But um, again, there's, there's a reason for that. We'll get into that um, tomorrow night, 6.30 here. So if you haven't had a chance to read through Nehemiah 11, uh, we're, we're going uh, through chapter 13. So we're kind of getting down to the uh, end of this study. We've been using it to kind of vision and, and, and pray for the church and our leadership. Uh, and again, it's just been really, really exciting. It's been incredible insight that people have been having um, through this. So again, I, I just want to just encourage you uh, tomorrow night, 6.30, um, right here uh, in this place. Whether you've ever thought of this or not, or ever kind of realized this or not, um, part of our everyday life is made up of choices. Now, in fact, various internets, they kind of estimate that the average adult probably makes around 35,000 different choices every day. Now, that may sound like a lot. It may sound like, you know, it's just kind of crazy. But whether you realize it or not, we make 226 decisions about food alone. Yeah. So just think about all the choices that, that kind of confront us on a daily basis. I mean, there's, you know, uh, philosophical choices. There's financial choices. There are vocational choices, marital choices, familial choices, political choices. You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to buy? Where are we going to go on vacation? You know, how are we going to spend our money? Am I going to get married? To who? How many kids are we going to have? Are we going to buy a house? What kind of a car are we going to own? I mean, there's just, life is made up of many, many choices. And every choice has one thing in common, and it always carries with it the consequence or the ramifications of being good or bad. Now, the essence of liberty is the freedom to kind of choose. Although even the law kind of dictates, we have to make choices that are not only in our best interest, but hopefully choices that are in the best interest of others as well. This morning, I want to kind of talk about uh, the most important choice a person has to make. And, and this is a spiritual choice that has eternal ramifications. It has eternal consequences. And it's something that Jesus uh, spoke in his uh, final moments from the cross. And, and these words kind of make up what we started last week, a series called The Bucket List. If you've never seen that movie, I encourage you uh, to do that um, because these are kind of the, the seven last things that Jesus kind of said. These are the seven things that are kind of on Jesus's bucket list. If you're not familiar with a bucket list, it's just kind of a, a list of things that you kind of decide you're gonna do before you die. And I talked about last week, Jesus had a bucket list. Now, you know, it didn't maybe call it that, but that's essentially what it was. And, and some of the things on that bucket list were the seven things that Jesus kind of said or did from the cross. Now, three of those things that he said or did were done in the light. Four of them were done in darkness. Three of those things that he did was about his relationship with other people. Four of those things were about his relationship with his heavenly Father. Now, the significant thing about that is, is those things that were on Jesus's bucket list are the same things that need to be on our bucket list as well. Last week, we kind of talked about forgiveness. 
You know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and Jesus was making a clean slate. And that's one of the things we've got to do in life before we die is we need to forgive anyone that needs to be forgiven of anything that they may have done for us. We need to clean the slate. This morning, I want to kind of talk about three men. Three men who hung on a cross. Three men who hung on that cross on a Friday that we have come to kind of know as Good Friday. And it's a day that there was kind of this sense of of death in the air. It's outside the city of Jerusalem. It's what is, uh, might've been called Execution Square. There's these, this place where there were crosses and crucifixions that took place. And crucifixion back in Jesus' day, it was not unusual. It was a very, very common practice. But on this particular day, it was a very, very different kind of Friday because the man, one of the men who were being crucified was a very different, a very unique, a very unusual man. Now, what is interesting about this one man named Jesus was he's being crucified in between two thieves. Now, nobody knows who arranged this or how it happened, except that this was a fulfillment of a prophecy that Isaiah spoke about that said the Messiah would be crucified between malefactors, is the word Isaiah used. We would say criminals or trespassers. It would probably add insult to injury because Jesus also claimed not to just be a man, but he also claimed to be co-eternal, co-equal with God. He claimed to be the son of God. But today we're not going to so much focus on that man in the middle, but I want to focus this morning on those two thieves and one in particular. In this story, one of the most important things you have to have on your bucket list is you got to make sure you've made the right choice. Two men died on either side of Jesus on that particular Friday. One made the wrong choice and one made the right choice. The one that made the wrong choice was separated from God forever. The one who made the right choice was able to join Jesus in his kingdom on that particular day. And so on my bucket list, on your bucket list, should be the right choice. And to make the right choice, you got to do exactly the same thing this thief did to ensure you are ready to die before you do. The first thing that thief did as he hung there next to Jesus was he recognized personal guilt. He recognized, he realized personal guilt. Now, something very, very unusual happened at this particular day, at this particular crucifixion. Most of the time as you were being crucified, if you've ever uh, watched uh, the movie uh, that Mel Gibson did, uh, The Passion, if you've ever studied anything about crucifixion, you know what a horrific death that is. It is a very slow, it is excruciatingly painful, 
painful. It's one of those things that as it's happening, your whole focus is just solely on trying to bear what you're going through. You have a very, very difficult time, obviously, with pain. You have a very, very difficult time breathing. As a matter of fact, one of the only ways that you're allowed to breathe as you're hanging there on that cross is you have to push up. Um, with the nails being driven through your feet, you push up on that to be able to allow your chest to be able to expand and to take air in. And then you would release the weight and you would have to keep doing this every time you wanted to draw a breath. So it, it's, it's one of these things that, that it, it's just so, you're so focused on that process. Uh, It's so excruciating what you're going through. But what was unique about this particular situation is these two men on either side of Jesus, they have a conversation. And it begins when one of the criminals kind of begins hurling insults at Jesus. And Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it kind of captures this conversation between these two men. And it says there, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? He's mocking him. It says, come down from that cross save us, save yourself. Now again, that word for hurled insults, again, you'll find that in other uh, places in the Greek language, and that word is translated blasphemy. So when he says that this man is hurling insults at Jesus, what he's saying is this man is blaspheming Jesus. He is using a very violent, very aggressive, uh, very uh, salty, harsh language toward Jesus. He was using every profane, vile, horrible word in the book. I mean, his language would have been, you know, X-rated. At some point, the other man on the other side of Jesus is hearing all of this, and he finally kind of breaks in, and he begins to give his response there in verse 40. And he says that the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. He says, we are punished justly. Remember we talked about that uh, in in the last series. When you do bad and bad things happen to you, we call that justice. And that's what he's recognizing here. Hey, we've done some bad things and, and this bad thing is happening to us because of the bad thing we did and that's justice. And he says, we're just getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done Nothing. Remember we talked about, you know, when you, when you do good and good things happen to you, we call that fair. That, that's good. That's right. We expect that. But when you do good as Jesus did, when you love people, when you're full of grace and mercy, when, when you're good and something bad happens to you, we don't know how to deal with that. We don't have language for that. The Bible does. The Bible says when you suffer, when you suffer bad for doing good, you're blessed. And this is what he recognizes. He says, man, we're getting what we deserve. This is, this is justice. This man's done nothing wrong, and look what's being done to him. Now, again, you got to understand, neither of these men were Boy Scouts. Far from it. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, they kind of all use different words to describe these men. I mean, they're called thieves, robbers, bandits, rebels, criminals. Normally, they're just referred to as thieves, but I'll tell you what, to end up where these men ended up, they were far more than thieves. In fact, Luke uses a word that was used for professional criminals and members of the underworld. In other words, these, these were mafia men. I was blown away this week when I saw that that, that mafia guy uh, in New York got whacked. In, in that, in that, is that a mafia word, whacked? You get whacked? <laughs> I mean, I'm not making light of it, but I was just kind of like amazed because I didn't think the mafia existed anymore. I mean, I thought that was kind of like a 1920, 1930 thing. I thought the mafia was kind of extinct, and I'm reading this article, and I'm like going, We still have mafia in the United States. That just blew my mind. Anyway, uh, it has nothing to do with this. I don't know why I'm talking about it. But anyway, we would kind of call these kind of people thugs, you know, uh, 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 hoods, terrorists, assassins, you know, cutthroats. These are the kind of, uh, of men these were that were hanging beside Jesus. They weren't just guilty of misdemeanors, okay? uh, These are the worst kind of felons, you know, you could ever imagine. These were bad dudes. I mean, they would kill you for fun or kill you for profit, sometimes both, okay? Bad guys. And back in those days, the Roman government, they didn't just crucify people for simple thievery. I mean, whatever these guys did, and we don't don't know exactly what they did, they were certainly worthy. They were getting justice. They were getting exactly what they deserved, the death penalty. And most likely, and again, I don't know this for certain, but most likely the one crime they committed that tipped the scales, that did them in, was they were insurrectionists meaning they had committed the ultimate no-no, and that is they openly rebelled against the Roman government. They were trying to topple, they were trying to challenge the Roman government, and that's what got them crucified. But they're also rebels against God, and, and that is why they are dying. And this is exactly what that one criminal, he recognizes And he asked that great question, don't you fear God? You may ask yourself, what does God have to do with all of this? Again, we we may not be guilty of any worldly crime. We may not be guilty of anything that these men ever did. But we're all guilty of the spiritual crime of sin, of rebelling against God, rebelling against his son, Jesus Christ. And I realize we live kind of in a no-fault world. Doesn't matter whether you're in an automobile accident, whether you're, you know, seeking a divorce, you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. It just seems in this culture, no matter what you do, it's never your fault. We always want to look to and, and blame other people. And again, if you don't see yourself in one of these men hanging there on the cross, if we do not realize that we have our own personal guilt, that we are guilty of rebelling against God, of not obeying his word, of not honoring him, as this man did hanging there on the cross, you'll probably, chances are, never come to God. This man, he comes to realize 
that it was his crime that nailed him to the cross, but it was his sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Big difference. He realized his crimes did this to him. And he realizes, he comes to this recognition, it was my sin, my rebellion against God that this man hangs here. That was the first thing, he recognized his own personal guilt. Second thing he did was he requested spiritual grace. Just reading Luke's gospel, I mean, you would not believe the unbelievable transformation that had taken place in the heart of this man as he hung there, those final few moments clinging to life. You would not probably pick up the incredible transformation that had taken place in this man's heart because there's a, in the very, very beginning, the gospel make it very, very clear that it was both of these men who were hurling insults at Jesus Listen to Matthew's account of this in Matthew 27, verse 44. He says, in the same way, the rebels, more than one, both of them, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insult on Jesus. So there's a point where both men are kind of participating in this taunting, this blaspheming of Jesus, and a transformation at some point had turned condemnation into adoration. This man goes from condemning and taunting Jesus to admiring him. This criminal is about to become a convert. What happened? When anyone was crucified, the assumption always was this man has done something terribly wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that that you were, you were cursed. If you were hanging on a cross, it was a public declaration that you were cursed. So that this man has done something terribly wrong to end up where he is. But it's interesting, he doesn't just recognize Jesus as a sinless man, but he recognizes Jesus as a sovereign man, as a saving man. Verse 42 continues, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Whoa, this is heavy. He realizes as he looks at Jesus, this isn't just a man, he's a king. Because he would have never ever used the word kingdom because you can't have a kingdom without a king. And he recognizes that Jesus is going to come into a kingdom, and he is a king. And he says, so remember me, my king, when you come into your kingdom. That is a transformation. That is a change of heart. That is a conversion. He says to Jesus, I'm guilty, but you are guiltless. I'm a criminal, but you are a king. I am hopeless, but you are my only hope. I'm a sinner. You, Jesus, are the Savior. You're looking at one of the most amazing examples of transformation and conversion and salvation. Again, he recognizes Jesus as a king. And yet, 
If you were to look at Jesus that day hanging upon the cross, no man looked less like a king than Jesus did that day. If you had seen Jesus on that cross and you had a weak stomach, you wouldn't have been hurling insults. You would have been hurling something else because here was a man beaten, bloodied, crown pressed upon his thorns, naked. He had been flogged 40 times. Shards of skin are hanging off. He's probably caked in dirt and blood, urine and feces. He's beaten beyond recognition. Again, the sight, the smell alone would have been nauseating. He's not looking at the risen Jesus with a crown on his head. No, 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 no. He sees a man badly beaten. He's looking at a crucified man hanging on a cross. Now, we don't, we don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm guessing he never saw Jesus walk on water. I'm sure he never saw Jesus feed the multitudes. He never saw Jesus turn water into wine. He asked Jesus to save him when it looked like Jesus was the one that needed saving most. Jesus was never less believable than he was in that moment. But this man believed in spite of what he saw. I believe this man had a revelation as he hung there on that cross. And Peter understood the whole concept of that revelation. You remember when Jesus came to them at one point and and Jesus asked the disciples one time, he said, who do men say that I am? And you may remember this story. Some of them said, oh, some of the people around us say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah the prophet. And Jesus turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Man, if you've never answered that question, that's a question every one of us are going to have to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Peter got it right when he said, you are the Christ, the son of God. Remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed are you, Simon Peter. And then he made this brilliant observation. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter has a revelation that is given to him from his heavenly father. God opened the eyes of Peter and allowed him to see Jesus for who he really was. Now, I understand that. I was born and raised in the Lutheran church. I grew up on the stories of Jesus. I colored the pictures of Jesus walking on the water, calming the sea, multiplying the fish and the bread. I knew Jesus was a good guy. I liked Jesus. I thought Jesus was pretty cool. I didn't understand a lot about Jesus, but I knew enough to respect Jesus. I will never, ever forget the day. Never forget it. That I came to that revelation where Jesus wasn't just a good guy, but he was God in human flesh. When my heart understood that, it was a game changer for me. God 
in human flesh. Whoa, who are you? And then I would think of that song, Jesus loves me. This I know, who are you? It changed my life. That's the revelation that man had on that cross. You are the Christ. You are the king. It was a game changer. Chances are pretty good this criminal didn't know anything about the virgin birth. Probably didn't know anything about Old Testament prophecy. Probably didn't care. He most likely wasn't there when Jesus, you know, turned the water into wine. Probably didn't hear the sermon on the mount. He didn't see Jesus heal anybody. Probably never saw Jesus raise anybody from the dead. And yet, when it was his last chance to come to Jesus, he came to Jesus at his first chance. What happened? I mean, what is it that, that, that turns this man's heart? What is it that begins that conversion process? The only thing that makes sense to me as I read the story, we talked about it in the previous message Remember, he's hanging there on the cross next to Jesus when Jesus looks out there a few verses earlier and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He hears that. Those words must have pierced his heart, pierced his ears, because only God could forgive others and only the Son of God could ask God to forgive others for what they were doing to him. I think all of a sudden, for the first time in this man's life, he experiences the grace of God as he hears Jesus say those words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He sees grace in the actions of Jesus. He, he, he feels the grace of Jesus in what Jesus is doing. Though nobody else may have known what Jesus was saying and doing, this man did. Again, he comes to that realization that he is dying in his sin, but here hangs a man next to him that is dying for his sins. At that moment, he understands what is really happening. Jesus took the guilt, the sin, the condemnation that he so rightly deserved and gave him the grace he did not deserve. And Jesus does that with us as well. He takes the guilt, the sin, the condemnation that we so rightly deserve. And he took that, he bore that on the cross so that we don't have to. We get the grace we don't deserve. In one simple sentence, Jesus, when, when in one simple sentence, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, he's recognizing I am nothing but a criminal, but you are a king. I'm getting what I deserve, and you are taking upon yourself what you don't deserve. You're taking what I could never bear, and I'm requesting your grace. Remember 
me when you come into that kingdom, oh my king. The third thing this man did was he received eternal glory. Above the cackle of the crowd, Jesus hears the cry of this criminal. And and I'm sure maybe Jesus only heard two words, remember me. And maybe all this man heard Jesus say was today, paradise. Jesus responds in verse 43, says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And do you get it? This, this guy, he's just asking for, even if it's just a seat on the back of the bus, and Jesus puts him in first class. It's the only time in the Bible when anyone is ever saved at the last moment just before they die. You know what that tells me? It's never, you're never too lost to come to Jesus, and you're never too late to come to Jesus. Isn't that good news? You're never too lost. You're never too late. Jesus gives this man the only thing he needed to know, that he was going to spend eternity with God, and that was Jesus' word. Because of the faith of this man, the grace of Jesus, this man, even though he has lived probably a horrible life, is going to get his happily ever after. What a day for this thief. It begins He begins the day crucified on the cross. He ends the day being carried into a kingdom. In the morning, he's in prison. At noon, punishment. And in the evening, he's in paradise. What a day. Talk about the high and the low. Now, that word paradise, it comes from a a Persian word that means a walled park or an enclosed garden. And really what this kind of conjures up is is whenever a king really wanted to honor somebody, he would invite them to walk with him in the privacy of his garden and just enjoy with him the most intimate of fellowship. In other words, when Jesus entered into heaven, this man was not just going to be behind Jesus He was going to be right beside him. The phrase that Jesus used meant to be with someone in a very personal, intimate way. When he says, this day you're going to be with me in paradise, it was an invitation to a very intimate place, to a very intimate relationship. And again, you got to remember, this man had nothing to offer Jesus no good works that we know of, no baptism certificate, no church membership, no offering receipts. He'd never been baptized that we know of, probably never taken the Lord's Supper. There's no ritual he could offer. There's no religion. He'd never maybe even gone to the temple, never attended catechism, never been confirmed. There was no other religious activity to offer. This man lived a life of crime, of rebellion, and wickedness. He had no righteousness to to offer, he was immediately granted full entrance into the kingdom of heaven with all of the rights and privileges that go with membership. All it took was the grace of a savior and the faith of a sinner. Do you realize these two thieves that hung on that cross represent the entire universe? I mean, think about it. Why was there only three crosses. 
Why was there only two crosses on either side of Jesus? Why not six? Why not 10? Again, nothing happens just out of coincidence. On the one side, the man represented those who rejected Jesus. The man on the other side represented a man who received Jesus. Two criminals were crucified that day, and they had just about everything in common except for one thing. One man made the right choice. One man made the wrong choice. We don't know the names of either of these men. It's the only time we read about them in the Bible. We know that they both made some very bad choices. They chose the wrong crowd, chose the wrong path, chose the wrong friends, lived the wrong lifestyle. They chose the wrong morals, the wrong behavior. And again, in the end, it all comes down to one made the right choice, one made the wrong choice. There were three crosses on that day. The man in the center died for sin. The man on the right died to sin, and the man on the left died in sin. You have a choice of which person you will be, the person on the left, the person on the right. Again, Jesus died for sin. If you're here this morning and you've never ever made a decision for Jesus Christ, you're dying in sin this morning. And Jesus died for sin. And when we just accept what Jesus has done for us, that free gift of what he did for us, he willingly went to the cross for your sin, for my sin, so that we could be like that one thief, that we could die to sin. When we confess Jesus is Lord, again, Paul makes it so simple. In Romans 10, if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's what that, that's what that thief does. He recognizes you're king, you're Lord. And Paul says, man, if you'll just make that confession with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. He goes on and he says, it's that confession of your mouth. When you say Jesus is Lord, he says that results in salvation. Those those are powerful words. That is a powerful confession. Jesus, you are Lord. You went to the cross for me. You died for me. You took my sin upon you and you've extended to me. You've given me your grace. I am unrighteous, but because of you, your righteousness is now mine. So man, when you make that confession, Jesus is Lord, it results in salvation. You are born again. That's what happened to me. When I I came to that realization, man, he's not just a man, he is God. I was born again that moment. And he says, man, when you recognize that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that he did that as proof that Jesus is who he said he is. 
The Bible says he was raised from the dead to prove he was the son of God. And the Bible says when you believe that in your heart, righteousness happens. That's powerful. In that moment, I went from unrighteousness to righteousness, to being in right standing, to being in right relationship with my heavenly father. That is what that one thief does. If you've never done that, Today is the day of salvation, the scripture says. Don't put this off. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what lies beyond these doors when you leave here today. And I praise God for people like Wendy that are in those hospitals with people that may be on their deathbeds, that maybe have never, ever made that profession of faith. I thank God for chaplains like her that are there to be able to speak the word of God into them. You may not get that chance to be on a deathbed, to know that you're about to die. For some of us, death is going to come by maybe an accident. It's going to come suddenly, and we're not going to be ready. We're not going to be prepared for that moment. It's just going to happen and be over in the blink of an eye. And we go from this life into eternity. And there's one thing on your bucket list you've got to make sure is you've got to make sure you made the right choice. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to call up our prayer people. Um, you know who you are. I don't need to invite you by name. You know who you are. I want you to come up here and I want you to be available. If you're here this morning, you've never, ever made that choice. There are born-again, spirit-filled believers who know how to pray you into the kingdom. (laughs) They know how to lead you into the kingdom. They're here this morning and they want to pray with you and help you to make that right choice so that when that time comes for you to die, you can die having made the right choice, the good choice, the best choice. Amen? Father, we just thank you for this morning. And Lord, I just pray that again, you're, you're just, I feel your presence here this morning, Father. And God, you're, I know you are working in people's hearts this morning, especially those that have never, ever made a profession of faith, that have never, ever maybe come to that revelation that Jesus is not just a man, he is God in human flesh. And, and maybe, God, again, that revelation is just coming to hearts and spirits here this morning for the first time. And God, you, you want to bring people into the kingdom this morning. You want to open blind eyes this morning. And God, you want this to be a time where they experience your amazing grace as that thief upon the cross experienced your amazing grace. And so Father, I just pray if there are any here this morning that have not made that choice to recognize that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the fairest of 10,000. That you are that Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the wonderful Counselor. Father, I just pray again, you're gonna open the eyes of, of the hearts of people here this morning again, God, that we would make that declaration. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I thank you for that heavenly, I thank you for that father revelation that you're bringing to hearts here this morning. Father, there may be those that have made that declaration and maybe you've walked away from it, not knowing 
understanding the full impact of that. And, and maybe this morning, God, you're calling them back into a place of repentance to renew the joy of their salvation this morning. There's some people here this morning, I just feel it. God wants to renew the joy of your salvation. You've walked away, but God's never left you. He is that loving shepherd that goes in search of his sheep and he never stops looking until you're found. And this morning he's found you and he's bringing you back and heaven is celebrating this morning and he wants to restore the joy of your salvation. So Father, this morning we just ask God that you would just begin to move in this place in a mighty way. Bring the lost home. Open the eyes of the blind. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.